Welcome to the Business of Design podcast. I'm Cheryl Horn, Director of Operations for Business of Design. A lot has changed at Business of Design since this episode originally aired. For the latest information and rates on events and membership at Business of Design, head to businessofdesign.com. Enjoy the show. Wouldn't it be awesome to have special powers? I've thought to myself so many times it would come in handy in this line of work. You go to a presentation and the client says yes to everything and then you snap your fingers and boom, the kitchen is installed or the renovation is done or the staging is complete. I grew up watching Bewitched and she had the power to wiggle her nose and make just about anything happen. Imagine if we could do just that in a challenging situation. The client isn't happy because the contractor is late. So nose wiggle, boom, contractor is on the job. Or the job site is a mess and the clients are due home any minute. Nose wiggle, boom, job site is looking good. As you know, it does not quite work that way. And we do from time to time find ourselves in the unenviable position of having to deal with a conflict. It might be the client annoyed with something that's happened or hasn't happened. It might be a tradesperson who's upset by some job site mix-up. Whatever the situation, none of us loves dealing with conflict. And since we don't have any magical powers and I'm assuming that's true for you guys too, it would be helpful to know how to handle the inevitable conflicts that are part and parcel of the complex and challenging work we do. So I'm going to introduce you to one of my favorite people in the whole world, Dr. Gans Ferrance, and he's going to tell us how we can channel our inner 90s action star and give conflict the boot. I love this. It's awesome. Before you meet Dr. Gantz, let's give some love to our sponsor, Patrick Reynolds Media. We all know there's a huge difference between hiring a design professional and hiring someone who kind of dabbles in design or decorating on the side. Totally different animal. Well, the same thing can be said for hiring a professional videographer versus taking a video of yourself from your cell phone. I've been working with an amazing guy named Patrick Reynolds for about the last 15 years. Patrick uh, is a videographer, but he's also great at coaching people on their media presence and their branding uh, in terms of their online presence. Patrick and I have literally traveled the world together. We've been in Hong Kong, uh, Hungary, uh, Italy, all over filming uh, home tours for various television shows that I've done. He also does the filming, by the way, for all the videos that we do at Business of Design. They are a one-stop shop and you will love working with Patrick. So if you're thinking about adding tours of homes that you've completed on your website or putting out videos where you're talking straight to consumers, letting clients know why you're the right person to hire, it might be time to get professional help to produce those videos. I highly recommend Patrick Reynolds Media for that task. Go ahead and reach out to them at patrickreynoldsmedia.com. You can also find their information on our website. Make sure you tell Patrick I said hello. 
So you remember the 90s, right? Some of you do anyway. We had Sly Stallone slugging it out. We had Bruce Willis saving the world. And then there was Steven Seagal, who was bringing bad guys to justice. Today's guest, Dr. Gans Ferrance, says that we can channel our inner 90s action hero and get better results when it comes to client conflict. As a bonus, the techniques he's going to share with us today will work with everybody in your life, your spouse, that person at the bank, even the person driving a car ahead of you, if that's what it takes. Now, Dr. Gans is a longtime supporter of the interior design community. He understands our business intimately. Uh, I use Dr. Gans on a regular basis. He's also super smart and holds a PhD in counseling psychology and a master's in developmental and educational psychology from Andrews University in Michigan. He's also a media darling. Uh, They love to have him on television shows and radio shows, and you'll know why after you listen to him. He counsels uh, individuals, families, couples, and corporations around how to reduce stress, improve relationships, and enjoy more success. And that's Really why we're here, Dr. Gans, because we love what we do as interior design professionals, but we need help from time to time to deal with the vast amount of stress that comes into play for us. So thank you so much for being here, Dr. Gans. Hey, thanks so much for having me. So, so pleased to be able to talk to you and your folks. Oh my gosh. And what a fun topic. This really caught my attention. When you and I started saying, what should we talk about? You said... I got this really cool subject that begins with learning how to deal with difficult people in the style of a 90s action figure. So tell me, (laughs) what does that mean? Well, well, you know, like like lots of people, uh, especially guys, right, I really enjoyed some of the action movies of the 90s, right? Like, uh, you know, you had Sylvester Stallone, you had, you know, uh, Bruce Willis and Die Hard, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, but one of my favorite guys was Steven Seagal. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Under Siege and, you know, all, all these different uh, different uh, movies. But, you know, it, what I learned from that, even though these were kind of violent and kind of fun, but I said, you know, you can actually learn how to deal with difficult people this way. Maybe not with hitting them in the face or throwing them around. I was going to say, this sounds a little aggressive. <laughs> but, but if you understand the techniques underneath some of these things, you can actually use them in a more psychological or, or when you're dealing with communication around um, the, the difficult clients or difficult people. So clients can, you know, it can be clients or it can be, you know, your husband or wife, right, as well. So, um, again, not advocating violence. But um, <laughs> so Steven Seagal, uh, his, his martial art the one that he practices and, and, and promotes is called Aikido. And mm-hmm. if you think about, m- many people know, like you've heard of karate or kung fu or different things like that. Mm-hmm. But Aikido, the, the, the main philosophy behind Aikido is to uh, not meet force with force, but instead meet force with gentleness and absorb the energy that's coming towards you and then redirect it for your own benefit. And I thought that was just a brilliant way to talk and to understand how we interact and how we deal with difficult people. Okay, so give me an example in the real world then of how force meets force. 
especially if you can relate it to what we do for a living. Because I know you counsel other interior design professionals, not just me. So you hear a lot about the kind of stress we're under. So can you give me an example of stress meeting stress, particularly in our profession? Sure, sure. So let, let's say let's say you um, you have a client and uh, one of your subcontractors messes something up. Okay. They they do something uh, you know they either don't show up on time or they install something the wrong way or whatever. Well, you're the one that's in charge, so you're the one that's liaisoning with the client. So they're going to talk to you. So they come or they're on the phone and they're really angry. Uh, I can't believe you did this. You know, what, you know, what kind of outfit are you running? That sort of thing, right? Okay. Can the I just first... tell you for a second? I'm getting stressed just hearing you talk about it. So imagine <laughs> the level of my stress when it's actually a client who's saying those things and everybody's relating because we've all had those difficult conversations with clients. Okay. So the client's kind of up in arms about something and it's being directed at me. Keep going. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, the first thing we naturally want to do, well, like you said, you just even hearing about this makes you a little tense. You have that pit in your stomach, kind of feeling the butterflies or, you know, your chest might get tight. You might be a little short of breath. And, and then, you know, so the natural thing that would happen is our brains want to go to defense mode. So we want to go to, well, it wasn't my fault. It was a contractor. Or how dare you? You know, we might attack them back with you know, anger or, you know, try to deflect it or whatever. Right. Well, Steven Seagal's way of dealing with this is you want to absorb the energy, right? This is the Aikido way. So the Aikido way is, oh, I'm so sorry. Tell me more about what's happening there. That must have been so frustrating for you. I can't believe that this this happened. I, I I understand why you're so upset. You know, I can I would be pissed off too, right? So right away, you absorb the energy and you go with the energy that's coming at you. So, and okay? it also sounds like you're acknowledging, like you're you're because that's I I can rush into a solution really fast sometimes. I don't even really right. hear the actual problem. I just start throwing solutions at stuff that looks like a problem. So part of the benefit sounds like you're also really slowing down long enough to hear what they're upset about. Well, yeah, you're doing a few things. One is you're managing your own anxiety in the moment, right? So, you know, you're, you're, you're stalling for time, so to speak, right? <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, okay, so, there's that, yeah. Right. So you're managing your own anxiety. But, yes, you're actually managing their anxiety as well. So by, by showing them validation and um, understanding and, and caring, you're actually making them an ally. And so what happens is, even if they're super hot, it's, they start to de-escalate okay. slowly just by, feeling, just by feeling acknowledged and feeling validated for their feelings. They may be totally wrong. They may have totally under, um, misunderstood the situation, but their feelings are valid, are valid, right? You understand what it's like to feel frustrated or scared or angry or whatever. So you can identify with that whether the actual facts of the case are true or not. Right. Okay. So I'm thinking when this is happening to me in, in the field that you're right. I immediately rush to my defense. So mm -hmm. it's not, you're not saying that I can never explain what happened, but what you're saying is first listen to them and absorb what they're saying. Right. That's always the first step, whether you're dealing with clients, whether you're dealing with a spouse, whether you're dealing with kids, you always want to validate and connect before you correct or fix. Always. So, so hearing them, listening to them saying, yeah, no, I understand how you, how, how you would feel that way. I can, I can totally get it. 
Yeah. Um, would it be okay if I tell you a little bit of what happened? Do you see what I'm saying? So you're asking permission and you're going slow. You're giving them control. Would it be okay if I tell you a little bit about what happened here? Oh my gosh. That's and, a we, that's a super weak muscle for me. I have to, <laughs> I mean, I know you and I've had this conversation before and I've gotten better at it, but when you're not used to it, that's really a tricky thing to introduce into your personality. Would it mm-hmm. be, I have, I do sometimes, not all the time now, Dr. Gans, but sometimes I do say, would it be all right with you if I explain a little bit about what's going on? And then, and then they right. will say, oh, oh, okay, sure. Right. Well, and that typically, right. Cause it, it typically works well, right? Like they, they, they like the respect that you've given them because you're asking them for permission to talk. Yeah. And you also are giving them respect because you want, you acknowledge that they are hurt or frustrated or angry or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And so right away they feel respected. So, you know, part of the deal, you know, in my little um, example here, part of the deal is they're feeling disrespected or frustrated. And so you're giving them back right away. You're giving them back that respect. It's like, you know, you're in charge. Mm-hmm. You're you're the customer. I totally want to hear what you're saying, and I totally get where you're coming from. Would it be okay if I share with you a little bit of what's going on on my side? Okay. It, it, yeah, mm-hmm. and it does. You're right. It does work when I do it. Right. It does work. <laughs> Funny thing. I'm getting better. I'm getting better. Progress, not perfection. Right. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. So that's you know that's the first thing is to is to validate and and absorb before you correct or fix or explain or anything like that, right? It, it really does disarm the other individual, right? Okay. Um, and and once, once they do that, then yeah, this is going to be kind of cheesy, but it's almost like you have the upper hand because then they might feel a little sheepish. They might feel a little embarrassed that they came on so hot and you're so calm and you're so, so generous and gracious. Right. And it really does, it really does disarm them, but it also ingratiates you to them in the future. Okay. And we've all done that, right? We've all gotten hot under the collar about something and then had the other person turn around and explain it and gone like, oh, oops, sorry, my bad, you know? So we can be gracious in return when they apologize for, you know, going crazy on us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, as you pointed out, though, it does take practice. Yeah. It takes practice. Um, and, you know, what, one, one little, um, I guess, maybe a, an example that might help. It helps me is I think about the old days when you used to go to the drive through at, you know, at McDonald's or wherever. Right. And when you gave them your order, you know, uh, at the very beginning, you just drive up to the window, you get your order, you drive away, and it's totally wrong, right? Right. <laughs> so, so what they do now to, to improve customer service is they either repeat the order back to you to make sure they have it right, or they have the screen so you can actually read your order to make sure it's correct. Right. And so if you think about the, the, the drive-through process, you can do that as well. This is, this is one of those things you can keep in your mind when you're talking to somebody. It, you, can, you can be the drive-through with them to make sure that you understand what it is they're trying to say and feed that back to them. Because just in doing that, that's also validation. That's actually very deep validation because they get the idea that you're trying to understand them. You're trying to figure out where they're coming from and what they feel. And so if, you know, again, in my example, I can't believe this happened. You know, you guys are so slack. What kind of organization you're running here? You know, it's like, wow, 
yeah, no, I, I, you're, you, you seem like you're really, really upset. I totally understand. And you're, you're worried about, you know, the quality that we're going to give and you're concerned about your job and making sure it's getting done properly. Is that, am I, am I understanding you correctly? Hmm. Do you see what I'm saying? And so you feed it back to them to make sure you get it. And then all of a sudden they have to figure out if, if this is correct or not. Right. And this requires a level of maturity, doesn't it? From the design professional. <laughs> <laughs> right. We've had this conversation before. I, I'm kind of appalled when I see certain comments on Facebook about what a jerk the client is. The client did this and the client Ooh. did that and the client's such a jerk. And a lot of validation from the community on these certain Facebook pages. Yeah, you're right. That client's a jerk. And I just want to say, oh, you need to call Dr. Gans right now because I don't think the client's being a jerk. Well, you know, even if they are a jerk or not, do you want to get paid? Yeah. Do you know? Yeah, there's that's, that. That's the bottom line, right? Like, uh, you know, like if there are certain things, and, and one of the things that I know you and I have talked about before is really setting up your your business to accept and only take the kind of clients you want, mm-hmm. right? Uh, like I love your system that you use um, to make sure that either they fit into the program that you're running, the structure that your business has, or they don't. And if they don't, then they're not your client. Right. But once you once you accept them as your client, well, then it's your responsibility to do the best job you can for them and to manage them. Part of part of the deal, particularly with designers or really any any professional is the clients are coming to us because they don't know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Right. They, they, they either don't have the time or the expertise or, you know, or in this case, also the connections to do the kind of job that you guys can do. When, when you take their, their ideas and you make them you know, manifest in the real world. So um, part of that process is to manage their anxiety, manage their emotions, manage all that stuff. So yeah, you can almost predict, you can, you can kind of factor it into your business plan that you know, some of the people you work with are going to be, or at least seem like jerks, but it's because they're anxious or they're stressed or they've mm-hmm. been, you know, you know, had bad experiences in the past or, you know, whatever it is. And so it does, it does um, sit with the professional to be mature in these instances and be gracious. Right. Yeah. Talk to, talk to somebody, talk to your people, your community, maybe offline, right? So it's not public or talk to somebody like me or, you know, write in a journal or something to get your feelings out because you do have to go and, you know, present um, graciously and professionally when you're in front of the client. Right. And you don't want that sort of energy out there as well. Like, you know, if if for whatever reason you hit the wrong button on the Facebook post and all of a sudden it's public, well, Youch. <laughs> that's not good. Youch. Yeah. And yeah. The, the thing about becoming a bit more mature as a business owner means when a situation, difficult situation occurs and the client's angry, one of the first things I have to do is say, listen, is there part of this situation that is truly my fault? Is there mm-hmm. some part of this situation I set in motion? Could I change how I'm doing business so this never has to happen again? Like you do want to look at that stuff, right? You do want to slow down Absolutely. and think about that stuff. But you're talking about those moments. In in the moment, it's heated. They're coming at you with this forceful response. And you're saying, mm-hmm. listen to them, absorb it. And don't mm-hmm. don't ramp up the volume with a defensive response. Right, exactly. Well, one of the things about Aikido, and if anybody's ever studied that or if you look it up offline after, um, 
is that the more force the opponent comes at you with, the more power you have in your hands, right? So if you really think about this, every, every you know, sort of emotionally intense interaction or negative, we would call a negative interaction, um, is actually an opportunity for you to do wonderful things for your client and in your business. At the very least, it's an opportunity for you to grow and practice this new approach. Right. because you're going to be able to get benefits from this with your own family as well in your personal life as well. So you get to practice it because somebody's coming at you. So, um, you know, one of the, one of the things about, you know, the, the Nutty's action star, Steve Seagal in this case, is he practiced this over and over and over. So when, when he was in front of the camera or when he's, you know, in an actual fight or whatever, he understood his own power, so he was able to stay calm. Mm -hmm. and, and that's one of those things that's going to help us as professionals, and particularly your folks as designers, is to practice the sense of calm even away from the game, away from when somebody's coming at you hot. Okay, So if you practice maturity and calm in your everyday life, and you are able to see these interactions, even if they're negative uh, at first, as an opportunity, it does. You're you're, you're good. You're by the time you mm -hmm. show up um, and somebody's coming at you, you've practiced this so much. It's very easy to say, okay, let me hear what you're trying to say. Right. Let me let me try to really understand what this is and see the opportunity. And like you pointed out, Kimberly, the opportunity may be, huh? I wonder if there's a hole in my system somewhere that is causing. Mm -hmm. this frustration with my client. Maybe this subcontractor is not as trustworthy worthy as I thought. Right. Maybe my instructions weren't as clear, right? When you take responsibility, so it's not really blame, it's opportunity and responsibility, right? right, right. If you look at this as, okay, what can I control in this interaction here? What can I control about this situation? Well, maybe I can double check with my subcontractor. Maybe I can make sure I am really clear with my client about what the expectations are or understanding what their expectations are. Mm -hmm. um, maybe, maybe it is something about this person that I've subcontracted to that is not trustworthy and I need to find another subcontractor. Right. But there's always an opportunity for you if you look for it to improve your business, improve you, and then actually improve the relationship with the client. Right. Now, you know, most of us are not getting yelled at every single day. It does happen mm -hmm. that the clients get angry and annoyed and something bad happens. So we can all relate to that. But much more often, I find, is that smaller anxiety, which is no less powerful for me, which is a situation, it could be something as simple as a client saying, uh, oh, yeah, w tell me how that bidet works that you've recommended. Like we're specifying a Japanese toilet, you know, these fancy toilets that have a blow dryer and singing and a light show and all that kind of stuff <laughs> when you're sitting on it. And I'm doing a presentation on Thursday, and I know for sure if the client turned around and said to me, tell me how this toilet works, and I didn't have an answer, I would go into high anxiety on the inside in a nanosecond over something that is so, so small, right? So it's not right. just the angry someone screaming at you dealing with difficult clients' anxiety. It's also the day-to-day -day deer in the headlights. You know, how many pot lights did you specify for the family room? And I'm thinking, I can't remember at all. And so immediately I feel sort of panicked and anxious inside. 
right you you automatically feel like you're on the offensive right now right, right? exactly yeah and i so, what, now what do i do there <laughs> i'm on the right. couch gans help me <laughs> <laughs> so so one of the one of the one of the techniques is to be on the couch that's exactly right so one of the techniques is to look after yourself on a regular basis away mm-hmm. from those situations so that you in general, feel more calm. So when we when we feel calm, when we do when we do the things that we need to do to feel good on a regular basis, what we're actually doing is we're building in a stress buffer into our lives. Mm-hmm. So the more that we do things to look after ourselves, like talking to a professional like myself, or you know, yoga, meditation, different things like that, anything we do to to feel good it gives us a little more of a stress buffer. Right. And that means that when, when that request comes, when they say, well, talk to me about this toilet. It's like, all right, let me take a breath. It's okay. You don't feel as, as rushed. You don't feel like you have to have all the answers because you know that you've got that time. There's a, there's a sense of quiet and calm inside of you right. that actually helps you to respond as opposed to, um, you know, to react. So, some of your folks might be old enough to remember this, right? But um, so Bill Clinton, when he was running for uh, president the very first time, he was on, I first saw him on um, a show called Arsenio Hall. Okay? Mm-hmm. Um, Arsenio, my gosh. Wow. Arsenio Hall. Back That's in right, the day. There you go. That's right. <laughs> it's all 90s show today. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so one of the things that struck me about him right away because he this was just really early in the whole uh, primary process i think was how he answered questions so uh arsenio would ask him a question and most most politicians want to look good so they want to have all their answers and they'll just start talking right away and a lot of times what they're saying doesn't make any sense or they don't answer the question or whatever what he did was he actually took time and it's, it was almost uncomfortable because especially, you know, in TV or radio, you don't like dead space. Right. But you know, that he'd ask, he'd be asked a question, he'd sit and think, and then he'd respond. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And it was so measured and so calm. He actually put the whole, he put, you could feel the audience calming down. You could feel our senior calming down. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I saw that. I said, you know, this guy is going to, he's going to go someplace. He's going to, he's probably going to win this. <laughs> he's going to make right? something, something of himself, this guy. Yeah. Yeah. He might, he might go far. Right. So, so part so, of that is you're saying it's, it's behind the scenes work that you do before yes. you get on that interview couch with a microphone in front of you, you're, you're taking care of yourself. You're getting enough yeah, sleep, you're getting to yoga, you're doing all those things. Because there's a ton of interior design professionals who work themselves to death, like yeah. really, truly working themselves to be- death, not making enough money. And mm-hmm. so I know when I get into that mode of working too much, I feel like a gerbil on a wheel. And you're right, yep. every answer comes really fast because I'm trying to get this moment over with so I can get to the next thing. Well, so, so a lot of the stuff that you just said has a lot of significance, right? So because if you're working for less than what you should be, then you're working too hard and you're not getting the enjoyment and the passion that you should out of something that you enjoyed. I mean, right. I, ideally, most of us go into what we do because we enjoy it and we're passionate about it. Mm-hmm. But it can take on um, a sense of drudgery. Uh, and, you know, we even burn ourselves out on the very thing we enjoy if we don't set up the correct boundaries around it, saying no to stuff that doesn't 
really fit for us um, or charging too little or accepting any kind of work, no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um, the, it's a, it's a great way to kill your enjoyment of whatever you're doing long-term. Wow. That right? is, that's so true. That's so true. Yeah. So, so of course, when you're doing that, then you're feeling stressed, you're overworked, you're busy, you got too much on your plate, plus you're not getting paid enough. So you're also not, you know, not doing the things for yourself or your family that you should be doing. Mm-hmm. And then you be, you feel like you're more of a slave or, you know, best a servant mm-hmm. as opposed to a professional. The other thing and that then, would happen, sorry to interrupt, the other thing that would happen yeah, for no. me in that situation is I start, my self-esteem suffers. I mm-hmm. start this internal messaging, you're such a loser. You, you work a mm-hmm. thousand hours a month and you're not making any money. Like that was the kind of messaging I had in my head. 20 years ago, 15 years ago, that was extremely painful to me. So in addition to not having money from doing this very hard and complicated work, I had that nasty little voice in my head going on too. Yeah, exactly. And you know, you and I have spoken about your system. I, like I said, I love your system. I love the structure that you have around it. And I said, you know, it would be great if you could actually do that for psychologists too. <laughs> so a lot of us going through that same, having those same feelings, right? Isn't that incredible? Um, I know with business of design, it's so funny. I thought, first of all, when I started it, it didn't have a name. I just started down this path. And then I realized, wow, there are other designers who feel like I feel. And then I realized there's architects who feel that way and landscape designers. And before you know it, I've got lawyers phoning me and saying, can we talk about your business of design system? And then you and I met and you said, psychologists and psychiatrists might need it as well. The bottom line is we all can thrive in our respected, uh, respective uh, careers if we have these boundaries, which a system is nothing but a boundary. And you're really good about telling me you know, where I can set a boundary with clients, especially with difficult clients. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Because, you know, when you, when you know that you're valuable and that, that means managing your time, not taking on any kind of work just because it's work, charging what is reasonable and what actually gets to feed you, right? And what, what is commensurate with your experience and what you're doing for the, for the client, um, you get to feel good you feel happy, you feel you don't have those nagging, you know, messages that you're a loser. And guess what, the better you feel, the better you do. And that's not just for you, that's for your family, for your spouse, and but especially for your client. So mm-hmm. if you take on less work, but work that's meaningful to you with clients that are meaningful to you that are paying you the right amount, guess what, you do better work for them. Mm-hmm. And then what they do is they refer other people who are like them, to you, and that's your that's your business. You've just built your business. If you chase the buck, right, mm-hmm. and you just do whatever comes your way because it's work, well, then you build that kind of business, right? And you'll get whatever comes through the door, and that's the kind of th- those people will then refer their friends to you, and they're also if they're, if you don't like the jerk, you're gonna get more jerks. <laughs> right? You are so right. You just said something that's so powerful to me, which is you make this one client happy, charging a reasonable fee, a fee that you can, a fee that you can be excited about and live with. Mm -hmm. You do your best job. And then that client is going to provide you with referrals to other people who are just like that client. Mm -hmm. Like that's how you get yourself into a new league 
right? So often people say, no, I'm stuck in these jobs. They don't pay any money and blah, blah, blah. You've got to get yourself out of there by raising your rates, by setting some boundaries, by having those systems. So I say this all the time at Business of Design, raise your rates. I know most people's rates are too low. I know that because I coach them around their profit and loss statement, around their business systems, et cetera. But the part of the the piece of the pie that I can't resolve for them has to do with how do they get over the fear of raising their rates. And I have referred people to you, uh, Dr. Gans, because I can tell them to raise their rates, but I don't know how to deal with the core issue that mm-hmm. holds them back from charging what they're worth. So what would you say to that person who's listening, who's thinking, yeah, I really need to raise my rates, but I'm afraid? Well, well I understand the fear is normal, okay? Because fear, well, stress, let's talk about stress. Stress is change, right? The, when there's a sense, when there is change, our bodies go into a little bit of a stress reaction because it's new, right? And it takes more energy for us to, um, to you know, to, to, to manage the change and do something different. So, yeah, so uh, uh, factor that in. Understand that's going to be a little nerve-wracking at first. But let's really talk about what it is you guys do, okay? Because... Uh, I know people, I've worked with clients and, you know, consulted with people and, and talked to people in, you know, my workshops and stuff where they have the experience of somebody's working on their dream house, right? And mm-hmm. they, they finally get the dream house done, but then they get divorced, right? Or somebody dies because it's too stressful. Right. What you guys do as designers is you take that stress away. You, you, you have the expertise in terms of knowing how to um, take a, a, a vision, take a, a desire from a client and turn it into physical reality for them. But not just doing it, you also coordinate, you know, um, subcontractors, you find the materials, you uh, make sure everything matches and, and flows together, mm-hmm. you, you um, project manage. Uh, you do, you know, some of you do like the staging at the end and, and that sort of thing. Well, what you're delivering is peace of mind. What you're delivering is calm. What you're delivering is an experience. It's not just, you know, well, anybody can go out and buy cushions, right? Wow. So that's, I would pay for that, right? I would pay but someone for right. that. <laughs> exactly. Well, okay. So, so in my job, like somebody, some people come to me, sometimes they have issues with their kids. Okay. So they may not know what to do. So what I do is I help them, I'll work with them, you know, coach them, help them put a parenting plan together, help them talk to each other about, you know, being on the same page with their kids, all these different things. Well, that's, that's invaluable for people because they don't know. That's not their, you know, we step into parenting without the manual, right? (laughs) So it's the same thing with like, you know, anybody can go to Walmart and buy some cushions, but that's not what you guys do. You guys coordinate all of this experience and what somebody thinks they want is not what they really want when they, when, when, when they have somebody who can shepherd them through a whole process to figure out what is going to be best for, you know, their budget and, you know, their, their particular style and all this other stuff, but then managing the actual execution of that too. It's extremely valuable. Um, And I was, I was actually talking to one designer and, you know, she'd said, you know, I wish I had a more worthwhile profession. It's kind of like what you do gets. Right. But I said, listen, she was at, she was actually working. I, I think she was working with a, um, 
doing a, a, a spot, doing a, a home or a condo or something for a, uh, a pediatrician who works specifically with, um, with cancer, kids that have cancer, wow. right? cancer patients. Right. And I said, listen, you know, what you're able to do is you're able to provide a, uh, a safe place for this, this person to come home to who can now have a place to relax, a place to say, feel safe, a place to unwind. Well, you never know how far the ripples go out because, because you're able to provide the space that she does not, or he or she does not have the proficiency or the expertise to create. They now get to go out into their world and into their life in a much more calm and grounded state. And who knows what they're going to do for the client if they got to do a surgery for this this child, or if they have to talk to some distraught parents, or or whatever. You're providing the foundation for them to go out and do their work. So every one of us has ripples that keep going out based on what we do. And the the, the more calm and the happier we are, and the more um, fulfilled we are for ourselves the better we're able to do that for other people. Wow. I love that thought because I have said that uh, from time to time to somebody like, oh, I, you know, maybe, you know, I'm not, I'm not curing cancer over here. Well, I'll give you, I'll give you a quick example of that. Okay. So when I first set up, like when I moved um, back to Edmonton here and I set up my office, I actually hired somebody to come in and give me some colors and do a little bit of design work for me. Okay. I, I don't know if I was unclear or if she just didn't understand what I was trying to say. But I, you know, I wanted a place where people could come in and feel relaxed and calm, and uh, you know, I wanted to create a little bit of a spa atmosphere for the mind, so to speak. Okay. So anyway, she came and gave me the kind of the hip colors, and like lots of grays and whites, and then I, you know, had some dark carpet in there, and then we had like full spectrum lights, which had a little bit of a blue tinge, and you know. All the designers probably know where I'm going with this already. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, after it was all done, I, I, I took my, my daughter, who was four at the time, and I said, oh, you know, Daddy needs to go up to his office and, you know, pick up something while you come in. Come in with me. So we went up. I turned on the light and walked in, and she took about three steps in, and she started to pull me back out and started to scream and cry. Oh, my god! Because, right, because it wow. felt so dark. And so negative, such a negative space. And I felt it too, but I, I didn't, you know, I trusted the person who was giving me all this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and figured, okay, well, maybe it's just me. But when she had that kind of gut visceral reaction, and she didn't know anything. She's a four, right? Right. And I said, nope, we're changing these colors, right? Yeah. And so we changed the colors and everything. And, and now I get consistent comments on how calming a space my office feels like people come and as soon as they get in half my work is done right because they're already relaxed you know so this is the power that you guys have this is the value that you guys bring to people so you don't have to cure cancer you support the person who cures cancer you don't have to like you know solve the energy crisis you can provide the works work area where people can do their best work to deal with global warming or whatever it is that that you think is a big big um important issue Mm. but all of us have a piece all of us have a part to play right we're just piece of the puzzle we don't have to be the person doing the puzzle that's amazing yeah i love i love thinking about that interconnectedness because we do um on some level i think we know the work we do is important but it's hard to articulate it sometimes so Mm. thank you for that for sure now i want to deal with one other thing and i don't know if steven seagal or a 90s action figure can help us with this but it has to do with 
um, perfectionism and the crippling sword that can be, at what point do we have to say to the client that, that we've really done our best to make them happy? Uh, and if they're yeah. still not happy, how do we handle a situation like that where you feel like you've really done everything you possibly can and, and it doesn't feel like it's good enough? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, look, at we have to we have to understand that, as you said earlier in the broadcast here, uh, progress, not perfection. Right. Um, we are all works in progress. And so we we may not be able to do like what, what I can do today is better than what I could do yesterday. And so it's always going to look different, but it's also not always going to be what the other person wants. And all we can do is do our best. I, I think it's important for us to realize that it's not about so much this individual client as it is about our career over the next 20 years or 30 years or however long we want to do this, right? And if we get caught up with that one thing that we may have actually literally screwed up, okay, mm-hmm. or that we did our very best but we couldn't reach the client's standards on something, all we can do is say, you know what, I'm very sorry that I wasn't able to get up to your standards. Um, you know, do, doing all the all of the um, techniques we talked about before, you know, listening to them, validating their feelings, but then say, you know, I'm really sorry. This is the best that I can do. Mm-hmm. And if it seems reasonable to make some amends to that, give them a, a, a small, small discount or, or give them a, a, some light free services or whatever to try to make up for it, you can. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, we have to understand that we did our best and then we have to let it go and move on to the next thing. We can't carry that with us. We can't beat ourselves up. One of the things that really helps and this might be a little harder for people new to the business than, than for people who've been in it a while. Um, once you've been in for six months or a year or a couple of years or whatever, there are people who like your services. Otherwise, you wouldn't be in business that long. Okay, And when you really look at it, the more of the people, more, more people like what you've done than, than people who are dissatisfied with what you've done. Again, otherwise, you wouldn't be in business that long. All right. Okay. Yeah. So... But, but our, our culture, I think, is geared, is negatively geared. They actually did a study, and what they found is that um, the average person has four times the number of words for negative experiences as they do for positive experiences. Oh, wow. So, yeah, we're four times more negatively geared than positive. But that's, that's the untrained mind. The trained mind can do whatever. You know, we can actually be, we can flip it around and be four times as positive as we are negative. But if you just look at the evidence, the evidence is that if you've done this for more than six months or so, the majority of people like you and the minority of people are the ones that are dissatisfied. Mm-hmm. So this is, this is, you know, just remind yourself of that and really look at that evidence. And that's going to help you to realize, okay, you know what? I didn't do as well as, or they, they're not as satisfied as, like, as the, I'd like them to be. But you know what? I got 95% of the people who are satisfied. Mm -hmm. And it's okay to remind them too, when you're at that situation with a client, I will sometimes say, it sounds like, you know, this, you were unhappy about this, 
but you're really thrilled with this, this, and this. Is that right? And they'll say, yeah, yeah, we're really happy with that. So, okay, good. So then I'll tell them, I'll set an intention. And I learned this from you as well. I set an intention to make them happy on that one item they're not happy about, even if I don't know how I'm going to do that. So in other words, I'll say at the beginning of a difficult conversation, before we start, what I want to tell you is my intention is to hear your concerns and be able to address those concerns and leave this meeting with you feeling happy and relaxed that everything is back on track. Does that work for you as an intention? And I find that's really helpful too. Um, that can also be a way to get both of you on the same page in terms of having a goal about the outcome, right? Absolutely. I, that's, a, that's a brilliant approach because what it does is it, it disarms them right away too, right? And, and lets them know that you're on their side so they're not going to be defensive or you know, hopefully not as too angry or anything like that. But then it also opens up your brain for creativity. You know, right. it opens you up to see, okay, well, how can I, what can I do? What, what is, what is it that we can do to fix this? And a good way to do that is like you said, go back and recount the things that they are happy for. And mm -hmm. it helps them to realize, oh, you know what? I'm 95% happy or 99% happy here. So maybe this one thing is not that big of a deal. Yeah. Um, and, and honestly, you know, if, if you've ever argued with your spouse about stuff, which no, most No, never, never. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of times showing up and just validating their feelings and understanding where they're coming from and, and helping them to see that you, you truly get it, that is the fix far more than actually physically fixing something. Right. Right. Yeah. Because we are emotional beings. We are emotional animals. And so when, when the client feels that you are trying to understand and coming in with an intention to make them happy, that makes them happy. And so a lot of times the, the, the actual thing might be really easy to fix after that. Amazing. Okay, so so we talked a little bit about what do you do in the middle of the situation, forces coming at you, you say, you know, don't react with defensiveness, but instead absorb that force and come back at them with something calm and measured and let them know that you're listening. So that's during the encounter. You also mm -hmm. mentioned when you're away from the encounter that it's not just uh, something we give lip measure to. You really do need to take care of your stress level with good sleep, healthy food, exercise, mm -hmm. all those things. Those things really are, at the end of the day, extremely important, right? So that's that's the away from the game and the during the game. Are there big picture things that we should all be thinking about in terms of moving ourselves forward in a big way uh, around these kinds of issues? Well, I just, I just want to step back just for a second, talking mm -hmm. about the away from the game stuff for a sec, because like there's, there are little things that we do to help or hurt ourselves in, in this whole process, right? One of the things that many professionals do to themselves is they don't eat properly, right? Or they eat on the run or, right. or whatever, right? Right. And so something as simple as setting your timer on your phone for three hours, getting up in the morning, having some food, hitting go on your timer, and when it goes off, stop what you're doing, or as soon as you can, right, and eat something more than hit your timer again. What you're going to be doing is you're going to be having some input of nutrition um, five or six times a day. 
And what that does is it stabilizes your blood sugar level, which stabilizes your hormones, which stabilizes your mood and your energy level. Right. And that, that goes directly to your sense of well-being, your sense of happiness, your sense of satisfaction in your job and in your life. And that goes directly to that, that sense of maturity you and I talked about earlier, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, about being mature and being gracious and being calm and gives you that stress buffer so you can actually be mature in that moment. And actually those, makes you more productive, right? I mean, you're actually going to do better work when you take those short breaks. Yep, you do way better work because the brain actually runs on glucose. It runs on calories, right? And so when we have enough free-floating calories available to us, um, we're able to focus more and you're more efficient. You get more done, less time, less effort, and you're happier doing it, right? So it's and you lose weight, by the way, too, because oh, you're when? actually spreading out. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're spreading out your calories instead of you know getting one or two really big dumps, right? Right. Into, into your system. So so that is something you know, just a very simple technique that makes a huge difference. Okay. You sleep better at night, and when you sleep better, you lose weight more, and you know it's just it's better, right? Mm-hmm. You're sharper the next day, and that sort of thing. But in terms of the in terms of the you know the big picture um, idea that we can work on, I think if we if we realize and accept the fact that we are works in progress, and you know I have this little acronym I like to use for myself, and I teach my clients. And and by the way, everything that I say, I I really do test in the lab of my life. Um, and I'm not going to ever tell anybody anything to do anything or try anything that I haven't at least done or tried or, you know, have some kind of personal experience with. And, and this, this idea, this concept, uh, the acronym is PEP. So it's PEP. Okay. And it stands for perpetually evolving perfection, (laughs) perpetually involving perfection. So we don't have to do anything to be okay. We're already okay. All right. We're already perfect in that sense. So if you have a five-year-old that's learning how to play baseball, you don't expect a five-year-old to play like a professional baseball player. But you know for the experience that the five-year-old has, for how long she's been playing, for her athletic skills, um, she's good. She's good for a five-year-old, okay, for her particular level. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the same for all of us. Just because we're not five and we're learning baseball doesn't mean that anything changes. The principle still holds. We are perfect for everything we've been through, um, the experience we have, our energy level that day, our sense of health, all that stuff. We're perfect in that moment for whatever we're doing at that time. And we get to evolve and we get to grow and we get to continue to improve if we choose to. But we're not doing it because we need to meet some imaginary or arbitrary level in order to be okay. We're doing it out of a sense of expansion, out of a sense of joy, out of a sense of fulfillment. And, and when you, when you have and can, you know, understand that concept and practice that concept, then, you know, all of life, including our business becomes just, you know, more fun. This is just another, another opportunity for me to, to practice. I love that. That's so, so good. Um, I, before, before I wrap up, I definitely want to let everybody know that you can phone Dr. Gans and get some coaching. I do it all the time. I know a lot of designers who do, uh, the website is drgans.com and it's spelled out D O C T O R G A N Z 
or Zed, depending on where you live, drgans.com, to set up an hour to talk about um, some of some of the paradigms that we all hunker down into and think are fact. I can't raise my fees because that's a good conversation to have with Dr. Gans, or I'm afraid to raise my fees because, or I'm afraid to bill the clients what I know I need to bill them because. Those are good conversations to have with Dr. Gans and certainly would, that kind of a relationship would fit into your um, PEP example that you provided for us, uh, Dr. Gans. So thank you for that. Um, oh, you're very welcome. At the end of the podcast, I like to do something like kind of rapid fire value bombs with uh, m- mostly designers who are on the pa- podcast. But you're not a designer. I still want to put you on the spot though. And I was sure. thinking about this. How about, and you didn't know this was coming. So this is right off the top of your head. Can you give us as our takeaway five good reasons why we should raise our fees. Can you think of five, <laughs> five good reasons to raise your fees? Absolutely. And you know what? We, we, we psychologists have the same issues, right? So we have to think about these things too. Okay. So number one, your expertise, okay? Your expertise. You know stuff. You know things that the average person out there does not know. And so you are you are valuable in that way. So it's important to represent that in, in what you charge. Two, you want to build a practice and uh, you want to build a business that's based on that level and not not um, whatever comes through the door. Okay. Mm, um, n- number three, the better you feel, the better you do. If you're not well fed, well rested, and happy, you're going to do crappy work. So you need you owe it to your customers to charge enough money so that you don't resent them from doing the work that they hire you to do. <laughs> I love that. That is so good. <laughs> um, number four, number four, you owe it to your family to not give it all at the office. You owe it to your family to charge a decent enough level so that you have something left when you come home. And you can interact with them and go on vacation. And if you don't have a family, maybe you want one, right? Maybe you mm-hmm. want to you know, have that significant other. But you can't do that if you're always overworked, tired, and don't have any money. So it's important to do that. It's, it's, everybody benefits when we're all well-fed. And okay. no, no, the fifth one, the last one is, and this is, uh, well, I, I hope it's kind of sounds positive. But the truth of life is people will treat us as bad as we let them. Okay, so it's our responsibility mm-hmm. to set up what we're going to allow into our lives or not. We don't have to try to change other people. We, it's, a, it's a losing proposition for us to try to convince other people that we have value. We should not be doing that. We should just recognize our own value and only accept treatment that is in line with that value. And if it's not, then don't let it in. And that's, those are my five. I can't believe you came up with five. I would have I would have come up with a couple, uh, but you really got me, especially on you owe it to your family, and people will treat you the way that you allow them to treat you. Those are those those are really important reasons why it may be time to give yourself a raise. And I learned so much today uh, about 
um, slowing down, taking care of myself and listening to what the complaint actually is for my client. And a new approach uh, is to absorb it and uh, give it back to them in a kind and gentle way. Thank you for sharing all of that knowledge and that wisdom. And I look forward to so many more conversations with you, Dr. Gans. Hey, me too, Kimberly. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for everybody for listening.